This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I gave a message similar to this a year ago, and I guess you could say the pressing or the burden to re-clarify certain things, just as a fresh reminder, and who knows, maybe another year from now I'll do the same thing, and maybe it'll take a few years until it really sinks down into the depths of who we are, where we reason properly. We desire to be a church that prays, and a, a church that believes. So when God says it in his word, we take him at his word, and we live accordingly. And so when you get the idea of how God answers prayer, what our expectations should be, when I come before the throne of grace and I make my petition known, I make my request known, what is my proper expectation? I want to hit on that today because for some of us, we have experience or baggage in our life that would cause us to think that God either didn't hear us or he didn't care enough about uh, our request to do anything about it. And so, for all practical purposes, we'd say we received a no. And so I would like to address that uh, in this message today. This is an extremely challenging message to give. You'll understand sort of why as we progress, but it's also a very challenging thing for us to digest and understand. But when you do, I think it's a game changer for our life. It enables us to clearly understand how God interacts with us as his people. And it frees us to boldly pray. I think a lot of us have a tendency to be hesitant in our prayer life, for we don't want to presume upon God. I, mean, I don't want God, I don't want you to think that, you know, I'm demanding here. It's just this would be really nice. And yet to be truly a functional body of Christ, we need to have a prayer life. And our prayer life needs to be mighty, it needs to be bold, it needs to be straightforward, it needs to be clear. Laser-like precision. Let's go after these things. Let's not just beat around the bush, let's go after it. So how does this relationship between man and God work in regards to these things? Some of you are going to recognize, even in looking at the title, you might remember, it's like, I remember when Eric talked about this. This concept, to me, enunciates something. It's called the two-sided ticket. Over time in my development as a Christian, I end up with metaphors. Metaphors that just sort of show something. And sometimes I'll get stuck on that metaphor for decades. And that will just be what my default is. So I'll be talking with someone in a different state. You guys aren't even there. And some topic will come up and I'll say, it's like a two-sided ticket. In other words, I'm going to bring out that same metaphor. And so what I'm doing for you is not that you have to use the same metaphor. I want to get a starter package going. And Jesus used pictures. He used story. And that creates an avenue of understanding. It creates a, a sticky point where we can say, okay, I got that. And that's how our understanding begins to grow. In this topic, I'm sure there are many other metaphors that could be used. But this is a good starter one because I can tell you what, it's hard to even arrive at this one. This is, this is an important subject. The subtitle I have is A Study in the Father's Loving Answer of No. Now, if you are a biblical scholar, I could uh, lay before you what we could call a doctrine of yes. God, when you ask him, promises to say yes. And I could support that, and I will in just a second. So where in the Bible is there room for a no from God? That's part of the question that I'm bringing up today, just to make us uncomfortable. Would God really say no? I mean, can he even, legally, can he say no if he promises to say yes? And so I'm going to walk through this because ask, says God, and my answer is yes. And by the way, the way we establish a clear understanding of doctrine is we have multiple witnesses in Scripture. 
And sometimes we don't have a lot said on a subject. For instance, do not forsake the gathering of the believers, that is said once. And yet we still all hold very strongly to it because it's the word of God. However, the reason that that has stability and strength in our understanding is because the rest of the Bible demonstrates the gathering of believers. Sometimes we actually have repetition in Scripture of the same thing being said. And when that's happening, you're establishing a very, very clear doctrinal understanding. And when it comes to God's answer to our prayers, it's pretty clear. So I'll go through that real quick. Ask, and it shall be given you. I don't know, that's pretty clear to me. And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Huh, that one was pretty clear too. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So you guys begin to realize here, we've got some solid footing on this point. Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. He's not slapping you on the wrist saying, don't ask. In fact, he's saying the opposite. Ask, and it will be given you. There's not a lot of confusion in this. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So even in the description of God, we are saying he doesn't just answer our ask, but he goes beyond what we ask. That actually is going to be very important in us uh, unwrapping this topic today. God doesn't just answer He answers beyond what we ask. Okay, you're going to hold on to that as a nugget? So let's discuss this point by starting with the one we're asking. Because the one we're asking is not just some random guy. It's like, okay, walk down the streets of Windsor and ask someone for $100. I guarantee you he'll give it to you. That's not what it says. That would be be sort of fun. Uh, But that's not the promise. Okay, the promise is ask God. And God will give it to you. Okay? So in other words, we have a very defined person that is being uh, the object of our request, the one we are coming to. So who are we asking? think, Think about this. The one who asks us to ask and promises that he will answer if we do ask. That's the one we're coming to and asking. It is the one who asks us to ask and who promises that he will answer if we do ask. That's pretty... Pretty good, as far as the foundation of confidence. Matthew 7, listen to this. Ask, and it shall be given you. Wow, just sort of says it. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, receives. Who's talking right now? Can we trust the person that's talking right now? Jesus Christ is talking right now. He's the word of God. And when he speaks, he cannot lie. He is spoken. For everyone that asks, receives. And he that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him. So we're bringing in the nature of a father. Jesus purposely does this. He brings in the nature of a father and includes or in, injects that nature into this discussion. He says, as a father would respond, that is how I would respond to you. So one of the things that we've determined thus far, even though my subtitle might still make you a little uncomfortable, is God says Yes. Right? You guys figure that one out? God says yes. That's what he does. He says yes. So, what about the no? Is there a no? Is it possible that there's a no? Can a no exist? So does God ever say no? Ah, You see, in teaching faith, the last thing you want to plant is the doubt quotient in. 
It's just like, well, yeah, God will always prove faithful. I mean, except in certain situations. What are those? Well, what do you mean by that? You said that I could trust him, but then you like whispered some small print. What was that small print? In the kingdom of heaven, there's no small print. God says yes. So does God ever say no? Well, and this is the tension of soul here. However, I'm going to stand on the fact that the word of God has already clarified something, and that is that God says yes. Sometimes, his yes is cloaked in what would be perceived as a no. And yet, you need to understand that when you ask, you will receive. And God goes exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ask or think. So we're going to navigate through this, even though at first you're going to wonder if I'm a crazy man. How could, if he says yes, how could he say no? That doesn't make any sense. Moses prayed that he might enter the land of Canaan, but God said no. What? Oh, what do we do with that? See, God denied him and instead, instead led him to Mount Pisgah. Not quite the same as the land of promise. It's a mountain that overlooked, and he could see the land of promise. Why did God do this? You see, we actually understand why this happened. Moses desired something. He desired the land of promise. Did it, was his desire bad? No. It was a good desire. So then why did God say no? You see, Moses, even though he may not have understood it at the time, represented something. He represented what's known as the law. And the land of promise represents the life, abundant life, that is only found in Christ. And so it's only Joshua, who's the same name as Jesus, by the way, Yeshua, that could take the people into that land. And so that you would understand the clearness of the gospel, today, in this generation, God said no for a higher purpose, for a greater glory. God answered Moses' request at a higher level. And God, in and through the life of Moses, and even in and through the no that Moses received, demonstrates to us that the law can't bring you into that life. It's only Jesus that can bring you in to that land flown with milk and honey. So do you guys remember that demon-possessed man in the Gadarenes? He's sort of a spooky character that uh, the spirits are cast out of him and they go into pigs and then over a little cliff. That's this guy. The man set free by Jesus requested to go with Jesus, but Jesus did not permit him. Well, wait a minute. Is it bad to ask to go with Jesus? Jesus, I want to go with you. Can I, can I go on, a, on this great adventure with you and hear you speak what you speak and watch you do what you do? That's a good request. And what does Jesus say? No. Whoa. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. You see, at first blush, we see something that looks like God's contradicting himself. You ask, you receive, don't you? Hey, these are good requests. How could a no come? Paul intended to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit it. God said no. And instead he heard in a dream the cries of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. What was Paul going to do in Bithynia? He was going to preach the gospel. It wasn't like he had some evil agenda. It was a good thing. And yet God said, no, go this direction. And of course, Jesus in the garden physically yearned to have this cup passed, but he submitted to the will of the Spirit leading him to the cross. Jesus was in a physical body just like we are. And he had a physical craving that we would have too. In front of him, the sufferings of the Messiah at a very acute and excruciating level. In his very body, he is going to bear something. And in the human side of his psyche, he yearned. Is there another way? God, could you accomplish this in a different way? No. And God, a good father said no to that physical yearning in Christ, and Christ submitted to something greater. You see, what Christ did in and through God's no actually is our salvation. And so what might look like a no was actually a yes for all of us. 
You see, God is answering. He is doing something beyond what we can realize, and it's exceeding abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. Corey Tenboom, uh, it's a great study. Our, our, our family's gone through uh, Corey Tenboom's stuff quite a, quite a few times. Leslie and I have listened to the story of uh, The Hiding Place and her follow-up book, which is called Tramp for the Lord, many, many times. Two of my favorite all-time books. And one of the awkward issues that she faced is she was arrested for hiding Jews. Her whole family was. And they were put into prison in Holland. And a Dutch prison wasn't necessarily pleasant, but at least it wasn't a German concentration camp. And so the one request that she had of God throughout the entire time was, God, don't let me go to Germany. Don't let them take me to Germany. I'll suffer for you. I'll go through great challenges, but don't let them take me to Germany. Is that a reasonable request? Sure. Could this cup pass from me? And yet then suddenly she, her and her sister Betsy are put onto a cattle car, crammed in amongst hundreds of women, and carted across the German border. And even as they're approaching the German border, she's realizing, she's like, Lord, Lord, not Germany. And yet there they are crossing into Germany. And it would appear that God had said no. On the other side of that border came some of the most excruciating pains this woman has ever gone through or ever went through in her life. Her sister died in a concentration camp at Ravensbrück. And her life was put under such incredible pressures and weights. And yet, she would tell you, if she was here, she's no longer living, but if Corey could stand here now, she would say, God was answering a prayer that was deeper than my not Germany, Lord. I had said, use me to change the nations. Use me to share the gospel. In Barracks 28, countless people came to know Jesus that would have never heard the gospel if she hadn't been there. And she went around the world with a certain credibility that no one could ever have unless they had suffered in that concentration camp. God was answering a prayer that she had already prayed before. And even though it didn't look like it could possibly match what her life was about to go across that border into Germany, God was doing something greater in and through this woman. The young faith-filled missionary. That was me. So Eric Ludy is excited about Jesus, and I'm doing radical things for Jesus. And I'm, on, uh, I'm in a missionary training program, and God had been challenging me to give up my resources and give things away when he would ask, and God, it's your money, I'm going to trust you. And I saw God supernaturally supply, and I was learning sort of what we could call the Amy Carmichael, George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, uh, Reese Howells, C.T. Studd model, which is take your request before God and watch God supernaturally supply. Don't mention your needs to any man and watch God supply. So I was doing this, and I was seeing some amazing things happen. And... So here I was, we, God had asked me to give up everything. So everything I had was, was given, and I was in a very precarious position because of this. And I have to admit, my mind was running through statistical odds of how in the world this was going to work out. I didn't have the money I needed to go on. There was a missions trip that I was going to go on after the training, and no one in my team knew that I didn't have the money. And no one anywhere knew that I didn't have the money. Everyone would presume that I was paid up. Why would they think anything otherwise? And so I didn't have the resource for this upcoming journey. And the day of reckoning, when I literally needed to sit with the leader and balance the books and, you know, make my final payment, was coming. And so I had, I think at the time when I'm, when I'm telling the story that I'm going to share with you, I think I had like one or two days left. And we arrived in Midland, Texas. And uh, my brother was, was with me, and we both got put in a, the home of a very, very wealthy uh, man. I don't know if it was oil, wealth, or, or what. I'd never asked him. But he had a lot of money. His estate was quite dramatic. He had like a little airport uh, on the property. He was like, whoa. Uh, 
And so I remember thinking to God, it's like, okay, God, you're pretty brilliant, aren't you? Wait till the you know, second to last day and you stick me with someone wealthy and I know this guy's going to have a dream tonight. He's going to wake up in the morning and go, you need money, don't you? And so he gets out his checkbook and he's just going to write the perfect amount and it's all going to work out. And that, that never happened. You see, I had it all figured out and I was even praying for it. God, awaken this guy. Put a dream in there. You do things like this, God. Speak to this man. Do what you do. The man was clueless. Seemed to have no idea. Hey, starving poor missionary right here. <laughs> and yet, he never did anything. And so that night was the final night. And so we're talking late afternoon. I'm, I'm not going to panic, okay? I'm running out of time. That night after our, uh, we had a, like a concert type of a thing for all these different families in the community of Midland. After that, I needed to have the payment. So I had my thoughts going. It's like, okay, the guy's going to be sitting in the audience. I have a special piano solo where I'm going to sing a song. Uh-huh. That's when it's going to happen. I can see it. He's going to hear me sing. He's going to be moved. And he's going to go, this guy needs money. <laughs> and so God, do your thing. Do that. Move that guy to give. Because, I mean, he's an obvious uh, fit for this. And so I get done, and I'm distracted by a few things. I'm sort of looking around for the guy, and he's gone. I'm like, do you know where so-and-so is? Oh, yeah, he left. He, he wanted you, you to know that uh, he just really enjoyed spending time with you. What about the envelope? You know, is he, did he slip you something for me? <laughs> nothing! There's nothing! The guy's gone! Huh. And so I remember just going out into the parking lot, and everyone was leaving, okay? And there was one car left. And it was actually the father of uh, a, a young guy that I knew. And so we had a relationship. Remember, I can't say anything. You know, my, the code that I'm following is, no, my needs are before God. God has to speak to people. It's becoming very awkward for me right about now. And this guy's getting into his car. He stops. He's the one remaining car. Everyone's left except for this one guy. This is the final moments. And he says, Eric, do you need anything? You know, God, God's, God's taking care of me. That was my answer. And the guy goes, great, great. And he gets into his car and, oh, God? Okay, now, young, faith-filled missionary. I've made very specific requests of God, and guess what? As far as I can see in the moment, the answer is no. Can God say No. So I walk in, and I'm dealing with some serious issues internally. I mean, I am squirming spiritually through this. Like, God, I trust you. I really do. I trust you. I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you. And I sat down from across from the leader, and he has his little book open. You know, we're doing the uh, accounts. And I said, I, I don't have it. He goes, what? I, I don't have the money. He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, your account was paid two days ago. I go, what? I goes, yeah, if someone deposited something into your account two days ago, you're paid in full. Oh, what? There was a ram in the thicket the whole time. My situation was already taken care of, and the whole while I'm struggling. God is answering my prayers, but at the time I can't always see it. And so what can be perceived as a no, because he's not answering my specific request, he's still answering. He's doing it his way, not mine. A young faith versus a matured faith. You see, what Eric Ludy was struggling with in this situation was what we could call a young faith. You see, a young faith oftentimes puts its confidence in the method of which God will respond, as opposed to in God. In other words, well, I know God's going to do this exact thing. And that's not the way God functions. When he healed the blind man, the first one in the, in the scriptures, he just said, be healed. And we're like, okay, I got the method down. The next one, he spits on him. It's like, uh, okay, God, you're sort of messing up my system here. You're just supposed to say, be healed. You see, God doesn't do it the same way every time, but he is the same God. And so when our young faith starts to put emphasis on, oh, this wealthy man will do it. And then I make my request known to God that this wealthy man would be the supply instead of that God would be the supply. You see the difference? I'm putting my confidence in a specific way that God will do it. And God's saying, hey, hey, 
I'm a little bigger than your situation here. I have you, and I, I'm even confident that he sticks me in that house on purpose to teach me. It's like, Eric, is your faith in that man or is it in me? Well, God, well, I can't, why can't I have faith that he will do it and then he gives it to We can make this a lot easier. God's teaching us bigger things. So a young faith says God will do it this particular way. What does a matured faith say? God will do it his way. You see, as you mature in your Christian walk, you know God will do it. And you know God will do it in such a way that will even bring laughter. He's that good. Oh, he, just watch. God will do it. You see, if any of you have read George Mueller's stories, it's hard not to get into situations and go, okay, this is what he did for George Mueller. So if you don't have any food on the table, then you're going to look out the window and wait for the, uh, the dairy truck to come down. He's like, I know a dairy truck's going to come and it's going to break down right about here. Because that's what happened to George Mueller. But God has infinite potential in, in answering our life's challenges. He's God. Our faith needs to be in him, not in a particular method. The boat filling up with water. So here we are. Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. You guys remember the story where Jesus is sleeping? It's a strange story if you actually ponder it. Jesus is asleep. What's he doing asleep? And not just any time, too. He's asleep in the midst of a storm when the boat is filling up with water. Now, if there was one time that most of us in here would not sleep, it would be then. And yet, when does Jesus go to sleep? He goes to sleep right then? And so he's sleeping. Now, I, I still have a hunch that he was wide awake with his eyes closed. You know, giving some snoring sounds. You know, looking around. Because this is obviously some form of a test of his disciples. Now what's interesting is you can conclude that this must have been a pretty dangerous situation because you're dealing with fishermen here. You're dealing with guys that lived on the water. And so if, they're in, if they says their lives are in jeopardy and they were fearful, I mean, this is a pretty big deal. And so, and Jesus is asleep. What do the disciples ask of Jesus? They have a request. What is that request? Jesus, wake up and help us bail. Okay, I mean, let's just acknowledge it right now. Is that a, is that a bad request? Is it a bad thing to say, Jesus, we need your help here? Okay, I, we know that, you know, you're the Messiah. Could you, could you sort of kick in and help us with our situation? We're about to die. That's a reasonable request. However, it's small potatoes next to what God wants to do. You see, God is going to answer. But his answer is going to sound like a no to these disciples at first. What does he say? No. What do you mean, no? I'm not going to help you bail. What do you mean you're not going to help us bail? You see, what sounds like a no is actually not a no. It's a cloaked yes. Is God not answering? Oh, he's answering as he stands up in the boat. And we're like, well, what's he doing? And what does he do? He calms the winds and the waves. He does the very thing that solves their riddle, but at a much higher level. God is frying bigger fish than what we're oftentimes frying. A young faith often genuinely believes that suffering is bad. Suffering. And then a young faith goes, bad. And death to be avoided at all costs. So what do you think about death? Bad. I mean, there's nothing good about suffering and death. You see, you haven't been trained to think like a Christian. I mean, what does Paul say? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I mean, to cease living here means I'm in the presence of the Lord. Hey, I'm all for that. Don't you know how much better that is? You see, it's a different mentality. You see, suffering to a young Christian is, you're going to think of it through the lens of your earthly understanding. And that is pain, difficulty, challenge. From a heavenly perspective, you say, huh, this is like the weight room. You see, if you stick a young child in a weight room and stick a dumbbell on them, and you don't tell them why, and they just have a dumbbell on them, they're like, ah, oh, this is heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. Start working with it. Hey, let's do this. Let's get some proper form for you. You know what you're going to build? You're going to build a bicep doing that. Really? Uh, and then he's like, this little lump goes, whoop. And you're like, wow. You see, that's what suffering and trials and tribulation brings. It brings definition and form to the spiritual life. And so as a result, when you have a mature faith, you look at these things as dumbbells. And you're like, huh, all right, let's get a workout in, guys. As opposed to, ah, heavy weight. It's a very different mentality. 
A young faith often genuinely believes that suffering is bad and death to be avoided at all costs. A mature faith genuinely believes suffering to be good. It doesn't mean that what the enemy is up to in sin is good. It means that when it comes against us, God turns it for good every time. So as a result, suffering and difficulty and trial and tribulation should not shock us. It is literally what God will allow into our life to grow us stronger and death to be actual gain and victory. A young faith prays to avoid hardship. You've noticed that most of your prayers when you have a young faith are, God, I don't want to have any trials. I don't want to have any difficulties. I don't want to have any financial shortfalls. Give me tons of money and tons of comfort. <laughs> and what do we even say? God says, ask whatsoever you will and it'll be done. I want comfort and pleasure. A young faith prays to avoid hardship, trial, imprisonment, persecution, and death. And it does this with genuine love and care, but a love and a care that is still very ignorant. When you hear about the Chinese house church, what do you do? You pray that they would be released from prison, that the Chinese government would shift its focus and become Christian. However, the Chinese house church is a lot stronger than we are, and it's because of their persecution. And you know what they say when they hear that we're praying for them to be freed from all this hardship and difficulty? They go, no, 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 don't pray for that. We're praying that you in America have it. Isn't that an odd statement? And what, what's our first thought? Is, no, no, don't pray that. <laughs> a matured faith prays for God to supply grace in hardship. Triumph through sufferings. The sweet aroma of his presence in difficulty. And that a magnificent glory would usher forth out of the circumstances. So I want you to ponder your life right now. You're probably familiar with it. And oftentimes we think we're like the one person in a room like this that is struggling or having challenges. But in actuality, that's what we all have. We all have them in different ways, and we have seasons of slight reprieve, but we're still in a human body that is dying and wasting away. We live in a world that is dying, growing, groaning, and wasting away. This is challenging territory, and yet, when you try and pray to have all of that difficulty removed, you have the wrong lens on. And that isn't what God's great aim is in your life. And so when you pray in accordance with God, you will find that you will be far, it'll be far easier to understand how no's and yeses work. The principle of saying no, it's an expression of love, respect, and priorities. Some of you, when you hear the idea of no, you're offended. You know, at the very beginning, it's like, what, no? No is just a bad word to many of us. When in actuality, no can be a bad word. It can be used in a bad way. And so, granted, but there's also a loving no. There's a no that is the expression of heaven to us. If you're a good father, a good parent, you better learn how to say no. Because if your child's like, you know what, I want to go and I want to eat at McDonald's every day. And so I make my petition known to you, Father. And if you're anything like God, you'll say yes. And yet a good father would say, not on your life. <laughs> you see, a loving no is one that wields the character of God in how it says no. I'm going to get something out on the table here. It might shock you at first, but God does say no. But in order that he can say a greater yes. God doesn't just say no the way you may be thinking. He says no so that he can bring you into his yes, because he does say yes. So the principle of saying no. When, when we deal with children, we understand that no is the essence of healthy parenting. You have to direct your children properly. And if they ask for things that would harm their life and what your desire is for their growth and development, you're not going to just say yes to everything. However, your inclination as a parent is to say yes. And if they're asking in accordance with what you're after in their life, daddy, could I pray with you? Yes. Daddy, could I grow up to be a man of God? Yes. Daddy, could you help teach me how to be a man of God? Could you imagine? I'm not going to say no to that. These are the things that are congruent and in agreement with what daddy is doing. And as a result, it's very easy to get the yes out. However, 
Sometimes a request will come from a child that may be a little misdirected still, okay? For instance, uh, I want to be the smartest kid in the school. And sometimes, is it bad to have smarts? No. Is it bad to use the mind? No. However, the motive behind it might be more self-exaltation than it is God-exaltation. And so as a result, daddy may want to steer that to say, all right, let's work hard, but let's also understand that even if you were the smartest, we don't want anyone to know. In other words, you do this for the glory of God. You study hard and you work hard to become a servant to everyone else in the school, not to show off and have everyone applaud you. In other words, to direct it into an answer, but not the answer they originally asked for. Saying no to one thing is actually saying yes to something else. So this is how my life works. I was just talking with the practicum students about the principle of no. And no is one of the most essential ingredients I have in my life. When I first started out ministry, I felt obligated to say yes. Because every opportunity you have in ministry is a good one. So you have an opportunity to share the gospel here. Eric, could you come speak here? Eric, could you do this? Could you do this? Could you drop everything and do this? You see, when you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. You have one life and you have limited time. And so as a result, a yes to something, a yes to a trip to Australia, for instance, means no to being here during that same time. And so when you say yes, you need to recognize that you are saying no. And so as a result, the reason we wield a no is so that we can say yes to that which God has prioritized in our life. I have certain priorities in my life. My time with God is always yes. And I will protect it. I will guard my time with God every day. And I say yes to it. And as a result, when certain things come up and people ask about certain things, they'll say, no, I, I, I can't do that. No, that's not a time slot I have. And you can say, what are you doing during that time? Well, I'm spending time with God. Well, can't you change that? In other words, it's not that I can't be flexible. It's that I'm going to guard that every day. And so as a result, I will say no in my life to make sure my priorities are straight. I have time with my wife every day. I have time with my kids every day. And so as a result, I have learned to say no. I say no to almost every speaking invite that I get from around the world. No. Mm -mm. No, I can't do it. No. No, no. Because if I say yes, then I'm not saying, uh, then I'm saying no to my priorities here, which is God, my wife, my kids, and what I feel very clearly called to, which is you guys. So as a result, I have to say no to things. It doesn't mean I never travel. I travel about three or four times a year right now. But I used to travel 30 to 50. <laughs> In other words, that used to be a huge thing. Less than I before we had kids and before we had this ministry, we traveled all over the world. And now I say no, because my priorities have to shift to be able to be effective in what I'm doing. So to say yes to something is to say no to something else. To say no to something is to free you to say yes to that priority. A no can be loving. A no is loving to my wife. A no is loving to my children when I'm saying no to something that would distract me from them and my priority with them. In other words, a no isn't bad, and that's what I want you to understand. There are bad no's. But this is a good no. The two no's. So let's, let's look at two different types of no's. A capricious no and a loving no. Now, if you're a parent, you understand what a capricious no is, is like. And that, that means random. It's, it's like God is not capricious. Is one thing you always need to recognize. If, you, if he promises something, he's not going to change his mind when you come to him. And, he, and you're going to be like, God, but could you do that for me? He's like, yeah. So it's like the handshake that uh, someone sticks out their hand and then you reach out to take it and they pull it back and, you know, go through their hair and go, psych. That's, that's what I had when I was in junior high. That's what they said, psych. So you stick your hand out. Were any of you around in those days when you stick your hand out? Because all, I have all these students looking at me like, what? <laughs> that's what you do. You stick your hand out and then they reach for it. Psych. Yeah, that was 80s cool, by the way. You guys would not have been cool in the 80s. That's all I can say. But that would be capricious. In other words, I'm feigning or I'm showing an idea that I want to shake your hand when in actuality I don't. And a lot of people think God is that way. He's like, oh, come to me and I will save you. But the moment you move towards him, he's like, eh, I don't want you. That's not how God works. If you have a desire for God, it's because he put it there. And if you move towards him, he will be a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He will. It's a promise. A capricious no could function sort of like this. 
Usually, like for me as a, as a parent, I found that a capricious no will come out in times of frustration. For instance, say my kids have officially brought me to the point where I'm about to lose my mind. Okay, there's noise in the house, you know, rambunctiousness, disobedience, we got stuff just falling apart here. And then one of the kids comes up and asks for something. It's just a bad time to ask, Dad. Don't ask Daddy now. So it's like, uh, Daddy, could I, uh, and I'm trying to think, could I play, with, or could I read this book, or could you read this book to me? No. And it's like, if they even ask, why? Because Daddy said so. You see, that's a capricious no. It has no basis other than frustration and irritation. Many of us think God functions that way. That we think God is random. He has 50% yes and 50% no's that he dishes out every day. So he's like, uh, all right, so yes, yes, and then, oh, no, no. Why did I get a no? Well, because you were third in order. And, you know, it's just uh, sort of how I felt today. So God is not just dishing out yeses and no's capriciously or promising you a yes and then giving you a no. That isn't how he functions. His no is a loving no. Could you help bail water for us, Jesus? No. Is, is that a capricious no? I mean, why is he saying this? Didn't he promise to say yes? Ask whatsoever you will. I'm asking you to bail water. I'm going to solve your problem. I'm going to bring salvation. The salvation that you're asking for, I see it. I understand what you're asking for. I'm just going to do it in the way that only God can. And God is saying yes to the request, but at first all you hear is a no. We have the random no and the rock-like no. You see, a random no changes its position on yeses and nos all the time. Like one child comes and and asks for, uh, you know, a book, you know, the same book, and you say no. And the next one comes, and you're feeling a little better now, and you go, oh, sure, absolutely. The next one comes, you're back in your bad mood, and you're like, no. And actually, actually, there's just no consistency. A rock-like no is God is the same always, which is what his name means. That's what Jehovah or I am means. It means the same, always, unchanging. And this is the way God is. He is always the same towards every single one of us as kids. Every single one of us would get the exact same response from God if we go in certain directions. God is. And so his response to us as a parent is consistent. And that's what I mean by a rock-like no. And so if one of my kids rolls their eyes at me, that's a no. Nuh-uh, you don't do that. So if the next one comes, I'm like, eh, it's not that big of a deal for this one. That's inconsistency. That's random. Random discipline is very dangerous for any family. But if daddy is like, hey, in our family, we do not roll eyes. Okay, that goes for all of you. That's the way God is with us. In other words, hey, kids, I'm going to be the same to each one of you. I don't show favoritism. I am. And this is what I'm requesting of you. And when you respond in accordance to what I request and you do as I ask, guess what? You're going to hear my yes. You're going to understand it at a greater level. The loving no. The no that a good father gives. Four sorts of loving no's. The no that is given in order that a yes might be supplied. You see, God is a specialist in giving the yes. That's what we've already determined here. He says yes. But to say a yes, oftentimes he will give a no. And that doesn't make any sense to most of us. How could, if, if he says yes, then how could he give a no? But the, the no is given in order that a yes might be supplied. And if he said yes to what you were asking, he couldn't actually be doing what he said he's going to do. He would have to break his promises. A yes to something that is exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. So let's think about Israel. The Messiah is promised. Israel is under the thumb of Roman persecution. The Romans, you have a soldier on every street corner, and they're just breaking the backs of Israel. And what is Israel crying out for? A deliverer, a Messiah. And what do they want their Messiah to do? Destroy the Romans. Kick them out of here. Give us our country back. Break the back of the Romans. Come, Messiah, come. And what does Jesus do? He says, no. Instead, he breaks the back of the enemy. Instead, he sets them free from the power of sin. You see, he's frying bigger fish. 
The Jews just wanted the Romans dealt with. They didn't realize that they had a problem with sin that needed to be dealt with. And this is how God deals with us. We pray for the deliverance of the Romans, but he's breaking the back of something bigger. He is responding, but to something exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we can see. The no that is given in order that a yes might be declared to a superior request. You see, there are bigger prayers than oftentimes we're praying. And what's interesting is oftentimes we, when we come to Jesus, say, God, use my life for your glory. He's like, I've taken note of that prayer. And then we get into challenges and we, f- we forget that we have actually submitted our life for the glory of God. You see, Joseph, now let's, we're going to have to go back in time to the Old Testament here. Where Joseph and his brothers, they've you know, sold him into slavery. The poor guy is living in a prison right now. And he's on false charges there. I mean, this is a bad situation. Do you remember that you had the cup maker, or the cup maker, the cup bearer and the baker, the cup maker, uh, (laughs) the cup bearer and the baker, and they both had dreams. And the cup bearer says, I will remember you and I will tell of your situation to Pharaoh. And so it's just like, could you imagine Joseph in this situation? He has been ostracized, cut off from his family. His dad doesn't even know he's alive. His brothers have rejected him. He's in a rather challenging place in life. Most of us would never say, hey, God, could I go into that prison that Joseph was in? And yet what is taking place is actually he's being positioned to be the answer to a greater prayer. In other words, he's saying, just imagine this prayer. It sounds totally reasonable. God, could you remind that cupbearer? Could you wake him up in the night? Could you do whatever you do to get him going and remember what I did for him and he could tell Pharaoh Pharaoh that I'm innocent and that I could get acquitted from this prison? And yet it would seem that God said no. For a long time passes and Joseph is still there suffering. And yet there was something greater taking place. And if you know the story, you understand that. You see, Pharaoh had a dream. And if God had answered that prayer before Pharaoh had that dream, then Pharaoh wouldn't have been inclined with such a desperation to have someone enter the story that could solve his dilemma. And then the cupbearer remembers. At the very moment, God knew he needed to remember. And Joseph is launched to second in command in the entire country, the most powerful country in all the world at that time. And now he becomes a deliverer for his very brothers that persecuted him. That's an incredible statement. You see, this is the picture of the Christ right here. What looks like desperation, why turn him over into the hands of sinners? This isn't good. And yet out of that comes forth deliverance, comes forth rescue, salvation. In your life, you have a tendency to look at your difficulties as the enemy. Instead of recognizing that God may have you where you're at, Continue to pray. Continue to hold to his promises. Grab a hold of God. Don't just pray that the wealthy guy in Midland can solve your dilemma. You pray the best you know to pray, but you trust that God is going to answer. Number three, the no that is given in order that a greater love might be expressed. Well, that's the summation of Gethsemane right there. God wants to express something far greater than just saying, son, I know this is hard for you. Okay, so I'm going to just give you a reprieve. You know how much... Imagine if Jesus stays on a little longer instead of dying right here. And he goes and he preaches more, he heals more. Is that going to be a negative thing? No, I mean, it sounds wonderful. But because God so loved us, he gave his son. And the same is true for us. God loves, and he wants to express that love in and through us. And so this is where a matured faith needs to grow inside of us. That we recognize that God will allow us to go through difficulties that he may express his love to this world around us. Number four, the know that is given in order that a greater glory might be revealed. We don't actually hear about Jesus' close friends in scripture except for with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We know that he was close to the disciples, but then outside of that, you know, we don't know much about his relationships except for these three. But we also know that everyone that came to Jesus was healed. Everyone. So could you imagine how obvious it would be for Mary and Martha to go, <clears throat> so good friend Jesus, uh, you know, our brother Lazarus is sort of having some sickness issues. Uh, could you do your thing? 
and Jesus is silent. And then Lazarus, could you imagine, it's like, yeah, I've noticed, uh, Master, that everyone that uh, comes to you has been healed. So I'm sort of doing that right now. I'm standing before you going, here I am. And Jesus does answer. He says, this sickness will not end in death. And then Lazarus sort of looks at himself and goes, haven't really had any effect yet. Uh, it would appear that they received a no. And Jesus leaves town. Uh, hey, where are you going? And he walks off. Uh, Lazarus dies. Uh, what's going on here? You see, even the story itself declares this. That this was for a greater glory. That a greater glory might be revealed. You see, God is willing to walk us through challenges in order that even greater understanding of his nature, not just for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but for us all these years later, would be revealed. This was actually a gift to us, that Lazarus would go through this challenge and hear an apparent no, only to hear a greater yes. The Good Father. This is an amazing story. Introducing the watchmaker and his daughter. This, is, this one story has really gelled something for me, but this is a Corey Tenboom story. When uh, Corey and her dad, her dad's name was Casper, Casper Tenboom, and he's just an amazing man. I really like Casper Tenboom. And so a long white beard, and he was a watchmaker, one of the most famed watchmakers in Holland. And when Corey was really little, she would, uh, Corey was basically his apprentice. She, she, grow, she grew up to be uh, an actual, one of the best watchmakers in Holland. And so she would always travel with him to the office, and they would go on a bus and then on a train, there's various modes of transportation. And her dad was always on time, perfectly on time with his, with his watch. And uh, so they always knew where they were going to be. They'd go from one thing to the next. And he always carried a suitcase full of watch parts. It was an extremely heavy suitcase, just full of metal substance. And so they were on a bus or a train, one of them. And Corey had heard some discussion amongst some young kids. And it involved some rather salty ideas and language, things that you wouldn't, as a parent, want your kids exposed to. And it was the type of thing that no young child should be thinking about. But Corey overheard things and was fascinated. And so she, on that drive with her father, asked him, Papa, what does it mean to eh, 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 eh? And so Casper uh, Tenboom seemed to not hear her because he didn't respond. And he just continued forward. And she was thinking, did he not hear me? Did I not say it correctly? What, why is he not responding? And then when they pulled up to the stop, uh, he said, uh, Corey, could you pick up my suitcase for me? And she goes, yes, Papa. And she reached down and she couldn't lift it. And she says, Papa, I can't lift it. He goes, I know. He says, it is too heavy for you. And the same is true with your question. Your question is something that you are unable to carry at your age right now. And I need you to trust me that I can carry it for you. In due time, when you're ready, I will allow you to carry it. But can you trust me as a good father? Isn't that good? You see, this is exactly how our Heavenly Father works with us. And that one story just sort of says it. God isn't trying to just hide his master plan from us. He wants to share it with us. But at certain junctures of our growth, when we're young in our understanding, and we're like, God! I need to know the answer to this. He says, a little one, you're not yet ready to carry that. So would you allow me to carry it for you? You need to trust me. I'm strong enough to carry it, and I know what's best for you. Would you allow me to carry this for you until you are ready to bear it? Yes, Papa. The watch. It's interesting because when you start thinking about what's in that briefcase, a whole bunch of watch parts. Now imagine that God gave us that briefcase, and he says, here you go, it's yours. This is, as a father, I've given you uh, a, a case full of watch parts. Well, how much good is that going to be to any of us, to have a whole bunch of watch parts? Do you know how to put together a watch? Some of you, I can just see some master watchmakers in here, and they're like, I do. Uh, however, most of us probably do not know how to build a watch out of watch parts. And yet, at the same time, that doesn't mean you can't trust the time that it is showing you. In other words, we trust that the watch or the revelation of God's word that he has given us is true, even though we don't know all the mechanics behind it. 
You know, what's interesting is Corey becomes a famed watchmaker. She actually learned how to carry that case and make watches and fix watches. The same is true with us. But at certain junctures of our life, we need to trust that the device that we have that God has given us is telling us the truth. And we can trust that he is faithful and true and he always will say yes and he will go exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And that when we ask, he, we will receive. We walk in that confidence, though we don't understand why Lazarus is laying in a grave right now. Though we don't understand why Jesus is sleeping. Though we don't understand why he's not doing anything to harm the Romans. Come on, Jesus, don't you realize how bad this is? This is your people and we're under oppression. And yet, our God is carrying something for us that is very heavy. And he knows what we need better than we do. You don't need to know precisely how it works mechanically to believe its message. The suitcase full of watch parts. One day, you'll know how to carry it. One day, you'll be carrying it. One day, you may be a watchmaker. You may be one who can handle the intricacies of God's order and plan far better than you do now. But right now, you may be a little one. And you need to trust that God is a big one. And he knows how to carry these things. And let him carry them for you until you are mature enough to understand. This we know. Just look at this list. He cannot lie. He will not change. He is the same forever. He is eager to answer. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He is a good father and gives good gifts to his children. This we know. When he asks for bread, he will not give you a stone. He will not give you that which would harm you. He, he will only give you that which will help you. This is God. He says yes. However, at different junctures along our life, it may feel or it may seem like we are receiving a no. But I want you to begin to understand what that no actually is. He works all things for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. These things we know. So the two-sided ticket. So when you go to DIA, uh, you come to the parking garage, and you have to push a button that says, printing ticket, please wait. You guys ever had that? And so then you grab your ticket. It's sort of a mental picture for you. When you come into the throne room of grace and you make your petition known, you push the button. God, will you? God, could you? And out comes a ticket. You grab the ticket and you read it. And one of you in here goes, it says, yes, God's, God's going to do it. And we're like all cheering. And then you get yours. What? It says, N-O. And immediately, I mean, you're just swimming. And you're like, no, I didn't even think that was allowed to come out of the machine. <laughs> no. And the next person over is like, God said yes. You're still looking at yours going, what? The next person, it comes out and it's blank. That's a really confusing one. It's like at least a no would give you an answer. I got blank. And then the next person's like, God said yes. Now we got two people out of five that are like, oh. and this is what many of us have dealt with. You see, what's missing for many of us is simple discipleship. Because you're supposed to receive that ticket with a mature Christian near you. And when they say, what did you get? And if you say, N-O, Watch how they respond. You see, a mature Christian handles that ticket very differently than many of us do. Many have received an answer back from heaven in ticket form that reads no. Some have received the same ticket, but it was blank, silent, mum in response. For lack of discipleship in the church, many have been wrecked in their faith due to this ticket. They couldn't comprehend a no from God, especially when he promises a yes. You can understand that. The church of generations past are very familiar with the two-sided ticket and have historically cherished the no because they know that it is evidence that they have, in fact, received a two-sided ticket. What, what, what's the answer that God gave you? No. And then the mature Christian says, you got to know? you got to know? Let me see that. Oh! And you're, you're looking at them going, it's a no. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you've never been taught this, have you? 
Taught what? A no means you received a two-sided ticket. You see, if you receive a blank ticket or a no, that actually means you received something better. And I know, all of us in here going, how is that better? Because you received a two-sided ticket. You see, and all of you are like, why does that matter? You see, you, you don't understand, do you? You don't understand that this is one of the greatest gifts of grace you could ever receive. A two-sided ticket is to be cherished above all other answers. For a two-sided ticket offers, I know, another side. The no is merely the hint to turn the ticket over. You get that? The no is merely the hint to turn the ticket over. On the other side is God's affectionate fatherly paragraph, beloved by all the suffering saints before us. I, I happen to have a copy of the affectionate fatherly paragraph for us, okay? You guys ready for this? I mean, this is what anyone who receives a no or a blank ticket gets. That's why we get excited. We get the affectionate fatherly paragraph. The affectionate fatherly paragraph. I'll let you have a peek. In the years to come, you may get your own affectionate fatherly paragraph, okay? Dear precious child, I have taken it upon myself to direct your investment of faith into something very special. It's a yes of heavenly proportions and one that is sure to make your heart swell with excitement as well as cause the glory of God to increase in this earth. Since I am all-wise, all-knowing, and I understand all things, I have seen fit to say no to your initial request that I might give you this yes instead. For this yes will express my love, power, and grace toward you and through you in even greater measure. Thank you for trusting me implicitly, your Heavenly Father. Oh, that's, that's good. The superintending spirit. So the word that is used in Romans 8 to describe how the Holy Spirit works with our groanings. You remember that scripture where it talks about God taking our groanings? We don't even know what to pray. It's like, how am I supposed to pray? And it says that the Holy Spirit does something very specifically. It says that he makes intercession for us. But it's a different word for intercession than you see in, in the other parts of the New Testament. It actually means, it's actually, the Greek word is huper entuchano, huge word. But it actually means superintending. It's like a father wrapping himself around his child to help him putt-putt, to help him shoot a bow. Who's actually doing the shooting? Who's actually doing the putting? It's God. But he overshadows and enables. And so we don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit wraps himself around. And through our groanings, all we can give is a groan. All we can do when we don't know how to putt-putt is swing. However, God takes that swing and directs it into a hole-in-one. And that's the word that is used. God will hooper into kano and enable our groaning to turn into something that he can say yes and amen to. You see, God has an agenda in this earth, and he wants us to participate in that. But we don't know how to do that. He knows that. But he says, pray, groan. And when we agree with God and we obey, even if our prayers be imperfect, God did want to supply for my missions trip. He did. However, I had a young faith and I wanted it to happen this way and then it had to happen this way. Then it has to be this guy. And God's saying, will you just trust me? Eric, I'm going to do something bigger than what you would do in your own thinking. Would you trust me to take the putt-putter? Will you trust me with the bow? Let me direct this. And that's where a mature faith comes in. God, could you come in and take the bow? I want to shoot this. You direct it. You show me how to pray. We groan in the earthly tongue. He translates into the heavenly tongue. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, huper and tuchanos, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Remember, a no from God is just his way of saying yes to something exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ask or think. Jesus has revealed the nature of God. The Old Testament was a mystery, and the Jews attempted to understand who this Messiah was. They guessed at it, and yet Jesus fulfilled it, but he fulfilled it in a way they weren't expecting. 
And the secret for every Jew was they had to be humble to not hold the Messiah to be exactly the way they anticipated he would be. Because he was supposed to crush the Romans. Who is this humble servant? There's no way that he's the guy. I mean, he's surrounded with rabble, fishermen, and tax collectors. There's no way that he's the one. He was the one. And he perfectly matched everything that was promised. But he did it in a way that didn't match human sensibility. The same is true with how God works in your life. Oftentimes, we, like the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, get it all figured out. And we know exactly what he's going to do. And then we hold him to it, and we miss the Messiah's work in our life. We miss what he's actually trying to do. Our job is to humble ourselves and receive the Messiah the way that the Messiah comes. The way that God does it. We want him to be bailing water for us. I know. I have asked him to bail water many times in my life. And yet, God always solves my problem. He always gives me the answer. I can testify of that 20, how many years is it, 19, 27 years this February uh, that I've radically given my life to Jesus. And what I can testify is God answers prayer. He does say yes. His yeses come in some funny packages sometimes, but wow, has he been faithful. It took us 10 years to purchase this campus. I prayed that entire time for the purchase of this campus. Ten years? What kind of answer is that, God? We're a little delayed on that. And yet, in hindsight, it's brilliant. If I actually share with you the story, you begin to realize, it's like, that needed to happen. And then, and then that had to happen. And then th- that had to happen. That wouldn't have been there. When- that makes sense. That's why Joseph stayed a little longer in prison. You see, there's reasons why we have delays, even though in our human psyche, in our human perspective... We don't have allowance for that. That's why faith is required. God, but you are faithful, and I trust you. He's trustworthy. By the way, his name is Faithful. Faithful and true. We can trust him. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludi, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.